What's up, everybody? It's Justin. (laughs) (laughs) That was recording, which is beautiful. I need to put that at the beginning. (laughs) You doing it. Clovis, building a healthy life together. What's up, everybody? It's Justin with another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. Today is the day that I have been waiting for. I don't know about you, but I have wanted this episode to happen for quite some time. I have interviewed, well, more like had a conversation with, a very dear friend and truly one of my favorite people in the world, both because of her personality and because of the work she's doing. My guest today is Hilary Boyton, also known as The Lunch Lady. Now, quick backstory, I was introduced to Hillary Boyton at her house in Tobanga Canyon, uh, California, and I was introduced to her by Diana Rogers, who has also been on the podcast. I'm working with Diana on a documentary project called Sacred Cow, and Diana had an event um, collaborating with Hillary at her home, and that was the first time I met Hillary and learned about her school lunch program, which is a farm-to-table school lunch program at the Manzanita School in Topanga Canyon. And Hillary and I actually hit it off rather quickly um, thanks to, well, thanks to, but uh, uh, I hate to say thanks to, but thanks to the unfortunate topic of seizures in children. Her, You'll hear this in the episode that her daughter suffered from a seizure disorder, as does um, my niece, Savannah. And we had that in common, and it just kind of helped us get rather close rather quickly, both having dealt with uh, such a traumatic experience. Uh, That just kind of kicked off our relationship, and I've been speaking with her and working with her closely ever since, and I fully believe in her mission. Clovis is behind it 100%. Um, We've offered some support to help get her out of the kitchen and kind of systematize things so she can help spread this across the country. Um, We're also funding a Dexcom study, and you'll hear her talk about that in this episode. And really, I'm just trying to work as closely as I can with Hillary because I I believe in her mission 150%. I think it is just one of the most critical issues facing America today, that being the nutrition of this next generation of children. I think it really could make or break us as a nation, and I do not say that lightly. I mean, the company, uh, the country, I'm sorry, the country is really on the verge of economic collapse due to the cost of chronic disease, and it's only getting worse with, I believe, one in two children, they're estimating, uh, by the year 2030, I believe, uh, is going to have a chronic disease. One in two children is going to have a chronic disease. Right now, I believe over 25% of children, maybe even more than that now, actually do have a chronic disease. So as you can see, it's not only just a problem with adults, the next generation is just even sicker than the generation that came before it. So this really is critical for the future of our country. This is a problem that will affect everyone. It is coming like a tidal wave, I assure you. And I'm sorry if that sounds scary. It's just the reality of the situation. So this is why I am supporting Hillary 100% and I'm going to try to get as many schools as possible to take on this system that she's using for farm-to-table school lunch programs. So I want to give you Hillary's bio here so you can learn more about her and then I am going to give you a bit of a heavy personal message. Uh, Fair warning, it is going to be a heavy personal message that I've decided to give here. But first, let's talk about Hillary. Hillary Boynton is the author of the Heal Your Gut Cookbook and the head of nutrition services at the Manzanita School in Topanga, California. After seeing the power of food as medicine with her own family, she passionately dove into the challenge of solving school lunches. After years of frustration, she decided it was time to roll up her sleeves and become the lunch lady herself. 
Returning her children's school to an ancestral way of eating is eliminating dietary confusion and changing lives on all fronts. From the children and staff eating the lunches, to the farmers and purveyors raising, growing, and supplying the food, to the dedicated lunch leaders lovingly preparing the lunches, her concept is so infused with love one can't help but want in. She believes a grassroots effort and bottom-up approach is where it's at. Hillary is most proud to see this infuse into the children's homes where this way of eating now becomes the norm and people are once again valuing time spent around the table with family, locally sourced seasonal foods, and great conversation. Of course, I'm going to include this all in the show notes at clovis.show slash lunchlady, clovis.show slash lunchlady, but you can find Hillary on Instagram. That's where she's most active on social media. Her Instagram handle is at liveyumyum, L-I-V-E-Y-U-M-Y-U-M. Hillary has also graciously offered her personal email address. You can find her at Hillary H. Boynton, B-O-Y-N-T-O-N, at gmail.com and her and her partner uh, Chuck are actually taking phone calls as well and I can actually uh, middleman that if you'd like me to if you want to just reach out to me um, I can set that up for you anything and everything I can do to get more people involved in this mission I will do and let me tell you why okay before we dive into this episode I'm going to do something that I've never done before There won't be any intro or ads for my paleo powder or my coaching on this episode. I have gone back and forth about this a bit, but I think it's really important to tell this story in a clear way. I have hinted at this and mentioned aspects of it in the past, but this time I'm going to give you the whole story. I'm going to tell you the story of my niece, Savannah, who is now five years old. She is 100% vegetative and considered terminally ill. And here's why I've decided to do this. I am, (laughs) how do I say this? I am incredibly opinionated. I'm quite self-aware. And I know that I am, in fact, incredibly opinionated, as people love to point out to me. I am a type A. I am extremely driven. I am a no-nonsense type of person. I study and research feverishly to form my opinions. In my experience, 99% of the population does not do this, which means that oftentimes I am having conversations with people who are not adequately prepared to discuss the topic at hand. This is never more apparent than it is when I am talking to parents about their children's nutrition. Now, I want to be very clear. This is not their fault, okay? It is the fault of the system, mainstream medicine, and its perverted relationship with big food companies and big pharma. The thing is, when these parents that I talk to realize that they don't truly know why they hold the opinions they hold, they resort to the same lines, such as, quote, you're not a parent, you couldn't possibly understand, end quote. This is valid. It truly is. I don't fully understand, and I can't fully understand at this point in my life. The thing is, these people seem to be quite confused by my obsession with childhood nutrition. That's why I think it's time for me to get this story out on the podcast so you can understand why this episode is one of the most meaningful I have ever done for me personally, and why this childhood nutrition topic is so near and dear to my heart to the point where I actually obsess over it, and it actually makes life difficult. 
Um, being in public settings and watching what people give their children to eat is one of the biggest struggles of my life. And that's not an exaggeration. So here goes. Five years ago, I was motoring along on my own health and wellness journey. I had discovered paleo. I had done paleo resets, Whole30, et cetera, et cetera. And paleo had changed the way that I trained in the gym. I moved from a bodybuilding type model to more functional fitness. Um, the, The proper nutrition just changed everything, and I was firing on all cylinders. I was also sharing nutrition with anyone who would listen. My love for teaching was kind of coming coming to fruition, and I was reading as many books as I could get my hands on. I was obsessed with nutrition by this point, no doubt about it. Then my brother had a daughter. Her name was Savannah, and Savannah's delivery went seemingly according to plan. She was a beautiful baby girl and seemed healthy, and they took her home, and all was well. Then within the first week, they started noticing this strange tick. We were just calling it a tick where Savannah would turn her head to one side, extend her opposite arm straight out, just stiff as a board, and all of her muscles would tense up, and then eventually she would relax and just start crying. And they mentioned this to the doctors on the phone, and they told them not to worry about it. It was just a strange thing. You know, babies do weird things sometimes, whatever. Um, Then finally they brought Savannah into the doctor, and the doctor witnessed this tick in person. And that was it. Our whole world changed. Um, Savannah was immediately admitted as the doctor uh, quickly realized that this was a seizure. And I'll spare you all of the details here because the story is quite long. But my family basically lived in the pediatric ICU for the next few months. And it turns out that Savannah was having over 300 seizures per day that were going undetected. Um, they ran over $1 million in testing on her. She was hooked up to crazy looking electrodes all over her head and she was monitored by multiple cameras, uh, 24 seven, the cameras that actually the, the doctors, when doctors were at home in their own houses, they had access to this camera feed just to monitor at monitor Savannah at all times. Um, we were initially told after some testing that she had something called Odahara syndrome. You can look up Odahara syndrome, uh, which is also horrific. And we were told that Savannah would likely not live past three years old. Her condition continued to decline, and she was eventually put on a feeding tube because she would no longer eat. Now, what we were basically told is that, you know, she was still eating and that was great. And if we had to move her to a feeding tube, that this was essentially like a death sentence or something. So obviously we didn't want to do that and eventually had no choice. Um, now at the same time, they were thinking it was Odahara syndrome or some rare form of epilepsy or something like that. They just weren't really sure. And as sort of a last ditch effort, Savannah was put on a ketogenic diet. Now at this point, I was already a a certified nutritional therapist and I really had no idea what keto was. I knew what paleo was, but my first introduction to the ketogenic diet was as a therapeutic modality. Um, my family was introduced to the Charlie foundation, which specializes in the ketogenic diet as a therapeutic modality for epileptic children. Now, I just want to point out here that when a child won't eat and is fed through a tube, you have 100% control of their diet and you don't need to worry about things like taste. So you would think that doctors would take full advantage of this and give these children the most nutrient-dense foods on planet Earth. But instead of using whole foods, they put Savannah on a ketogenic baby formula. I'll say quote unquote ketogenic baby formula called Keto Cal. 
K-E-T-O-C-A-L. Now, you can look this product up for yourself if you'd like to be horrified, okay? Because this is given to basically all infants with seizure disorders in hospitals all across the country. So I have spoken at length about how conventional doctors know almost nothing about nutrition. This is fact. It is irrefutable. As a result, they only learn surface-level knowledge about protocols such as the ketogenic diet on an as-needed basis. So all these doctors and product manufacturers know is that keto basically means high fat, low carb. That's it. They don't pay attention to the details or nuance. The result of that ignorance is this KetoCal product, which is given to babies, again, in hospitals all across America. Let that sink in. One day, I decided to read the ingredients on this so-called ketogenic baby formula, and I'll read them to you now. I won't read the whole list because it's endless, but I'll include it in the show notes. Uh, here are the notable ingredients. Ingredients. Refined vegetable oils, parentheses, palm, soy, high oleic sunflower, casein, milk, soy lecithin, whey, milk, mycocrystalline cellulose, corn syrup solids, silicon dioxide, high amylose cornstarch, artificial flavor, soy fiber, sucralose, and about 30 other ingredients that I can't read or pronounce. Ladies and gentlemen, this formula is a carcinogen, an endocrine disruptor, and an inflammation bomb in a can. Dr. Evil himself couldn't come up with a worse baby formula for an innocent baby's health. The thing is, the neurologist had no idea. Why? Because he had never even thought to read the ingredients list. He just trusted this big food company. He trusted that they had done the research and were doing what was best for these babies. Big mistake. This is when the light bulb went off in my head that nobody in the mainstream, I repeat, nobody, is actually looking out for your health or the health and wellness of your family. So I got to work and I took matters into my own hands. I went through all of the literature I had read about the paleo diet, mostly focusing on the work of Chris Kresser. I identified paleo superfoods and gathered kitchen gear like food dehydrators, food processors, my oven, um, and I started dehydrating and blending paleo superfoods together. Um, everything you could think of, really, coconut milk, uh, raw cacao, avocado, and chicken livers, artichokes, beef. Uh, at one point, I even dehydrated salmon caviar and mixed it into this ridiculous blend. Um, it was madness, really. For over four months, I created insane concoctions. Uh, I drank them myself, and I had my poor family try them as well. My dad still looks back on those early formulas and shivers. He gets goosebumps from just how nasty some of these things were to drink. Um, so anyway, very long story short, eventually I had a solid formula on my hands, and I actually worked with food and beverage consultants um, in you know real professional labs and things like that and uh, had a, a solid formula on my hands. Uh, we cleared it with the neurologist, and my homemade formula essentially was fed to Savannah via, via feeding tube and was way better for her than this KetoCal nonsense. Ladies and gentlemen, that concoction is what you now know lovingly as the perfect paleo powder. So Savannah has played a huge role in my entire health and wellness journey. And if we fast forward to today, I am who I am and Clovis is what it is because I did something that was quite unhealthy and looking back was pretty unfair of me to do to myself and I've had to kind of give myself some grace here as the years have gone by. 
Um, what I did was I told myself, uh, I got to be really careful here so I don't get upset. Um, I told myself that I could help Savannah, that I could help babies just like her as well, that I could help everyone. And that wasn't super fair to do to myself. So I'm better about it now, um, you know, kind of kind of the serenity prayer type thing. Um, but that said, this is part of what drove me to study biochemistry every single day for hours on end. This is what drove me to read four books at a time. This is what drove me to absorb countless thousands of hours of audible books and podcasts. This is what drove me to do countless biohacking experiments on myself. And Clovis is all of that work combined. And in this episode, you'll hear me use the term, quote, wisdom through experience, end quote. That's what Clovis is. I've earned all of the knowledge I have because I experienced it. I lived it firsthand. Um, so I should probably give you an update on Savannah today. Savannah is five years old and she is still considered 100% disabled, um, or also called 100% vegetative. She is still fed through a feeding tube and her life expectancy, uh, still is less than three years, which is miraculous because she is now five years old. Her official diagnosis is actually not Odahara syndrome. It is something called KCNQ2, which is a gene involved in proper function of a potassium channel in the brain. And I could be getting this next part wrong, but I believe she is one of something like 96 living cases in the world. It is just an extremely rare condition for which there is no known cure. Now, the really crazy thing here is that Savannah has been subjected to all sorts of what we will call experimental drugs. Now, there are states like Tennessee that refuse treatment for things like CBD oil or refuse things like CBD oil as treatments, um, but will gladly give a baby like Savannah these crazy medications, uh, such as one called Sabril. Um, I'm going to try to get these details correct, but I think that Sabril is something like $50,000 per month. Um, it's covered by insurance, of course, and it does not show efficacy for curing the issues that Savannah faces, but it does carry a 30% risk of permanent blindness. Now, this is just an example of one of the medications that Savannah has been subjected to instead of any kind of holistic approach whatsoever. They haven't even talked about putting whole foods through her feeding tube. They, again, were super against things like CBD, which has been shown to be quite uh, efficacious in cases of things like epilepsy. But anyway, this is, again, just another example of how awful mainstream medicine is, how awful big pharma is, and just how backwards we have it in just trusting some of these people blindly when they, they really don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that side of things. My brother and his wife did, in fact, fight tooth and nail and appeared on news channels and such and were eventually allowed to try CBD treatments with Savannah, and unfortunately, they were not as useful as we would have hoped. They didn't have the the impact that we were hoping to see from it, but they did fight the good fight and were able to introduce CBD to her to at least give it a chance. So, um, yeah, this is just something that my family lives with every day. This is our reality. So this is, um, you know, 
something that I'm reminded of constantly as I do my work here with Clovis. Okay, so this is officially long-winded. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Um, my point is, yes, I am absurdly opinionated about childhood nutrition. Yes, sugar is poison. No, your kids don't need it. Yes, big food companies are truly evil. Yes, big pharma is truly evil. No, I don't care at all what your loved ones think about my Clovis protocol or what they think of my opinions on childhood nutrition. I have earned my opinions, and my opinion is that there are few things on this earth that are more important than the foods that you allow to be put into your child's mouth. I want that to truly sink in here. The food or poison that you give your child will dictate the quality of the rest of their lives. It is that serious. I cannot overemphasize this enough. I don't care if this sounds scary. I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. I don't care about the endless flowing river of excuses that grown-ups make for their kids' crappy diets. People keep telling me to soften my stance on this, and that is simply never going to happen, ever. Here is the bottom line. This isn't about you. This is about your children. I am fighting for your children. I am telling it like it is without pulling punches for your children. Every child deserves to be happy, healthy, and fully capable of pursuing their most ambitious goals and dreams. No child deserves to be hindered by chronic disease and obesity. I hope that you will see this message for what it is. Nothing more than an expression of love and a deep calling for me to do what is just for me to do what is right for the next generation. I will keep supporting missions like Hillary's. I will keep fighting this fight to give the next generation a better chance at health and wellness. And I truly hope that you will consider joining me in this fight. All right, if you're still with me, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my story. I think it's just really important to tell you where my obsession with childhood nutrition comes from and why I support people like Hillary Boynton, the lunch lady. And I'm sorry I have hijacked this episode with my own story, but uh, here we go. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, introducing Hillary Boynton, the lunch lady. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Justin Nall here with another episode of the Clovis Culture Podcast. I am stupid excited about this episode because we've been trying to make this episode happen for quite some time. I'm going to introduce you to one of my favorite people in the world who is on an amazing mission that I am super honored and thrilled to be a part of. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the podcast, Miss Hillary Boyton, the lunch lady. Hillary, how you doing? I'm great. How you doing? Glad I'm to be doing here. well. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Are you excited? I'm super stoked. Yeah. Perfect. All right. It's been a long time coming, like you said. I know it has. And it was weird. Like we talked last week and we're like, you know what? Let's just do Monday. That works. Let's do this. It's time. <laughs> so I want to start off by, so obviously uh, a lot of people won't know who you are or some might maybe. I've definitely mentioned you on different podcasts and such. So I'm sure some people have poked around and I think I've shared your YouTube video um, at one time or another, but I want to just give people an idea of who you are and kind of how all this came to be. So I always ask people, what the journey was like from going to like just Hillary to the lunch lady, Hillary Boynton. Like, how did this happen? Just kind of take us back to where holistic health and wellness really came into your life. 
And now I'm like, do you want the long story? Oh boy. Okay. I'm like, it, it, it starts about 12, well, even longer than that. But, um, I guess, you know, I went through, I was a 26 year old struggling with infertility for three years, which was probably the most painful time of my life. I wasn't, um, you know, understanding why my body wasn't working for me, but looking back, I know I fell hook, line and sinker for the fat free model that came out when I was in high school. And so for about 10 years, I followed that pretty diligently. And I think that really um, didn't do wonders for my body for sure. And then certainly not for uh, reproduction health. And so then um, I ended up having triplets through in vitro. So got slammed with three kids right away after three years of infertility. And then thought we'd have one more um, just to see what it was like to have one. And whammo, I got pregnant on my own. And, um, and that little guy struggled with eczema from the age of two months on, just head to toe, full on, scratching all the time. And it was just really heartbreaking. And that's what um, sort of propelled me into trying to figure things out because every doctor was like, you know, he's going to need steroid cream and Zyrtec twice a day. And this is just his lot in life. And, you know, he's going to have asthma and eczema and allergies. And that's just probably what he's going to have to struggle with. And ironically, um, this came to me about like six months ago, I was giving a talk at the Take Back Your Health conference, or maybe it was a year ago, I don't know when it was, but um, I was, I had decided after having the triplets, I kind of stumbled upon Alice Waters and Jamie Oliver and school lunches, and was just like, oh my gosh, we got to change school lunches, this is horrible. And so before my children were even of age to go to school, I started to dive down that rabbit hole and... Um, Somebody in my town of Concord, Mass, introduced me to Kristen Canty, who's the um, producer of Farmageddon and has started a whole farm-to-table restaurant in Con Concord, Mass. And um, she, I called her up. I'm like, hey, you want to try and change school lunches with me? And she's like, oh, my God. I, she's like, I banged my head against the wall for a long time, but if you want to try again, I'll help you. And anyway, she kept telling me, you know, Weston Price this and Weston Price that and magazines and journals and co-ops and I had no idea what she was talking about and then um she told me about raw milk and I was just like desperate for my child and she had healed her son of um allergies with raw milk and so I was like sure I'll try anything and I put him on raw milk and cod liver oil and like within months he was completely healed so wow. that was really like my aha moment of just like what real food yeah. just killed my son um and then I when he was six months old, I was pregnant with my fifth baby. And then it was just like, holy, holy hell, like mm -hmm. five babies under four. And I really dove into, um, I started running an Amish co-op for like six years, kind of underground out of my house um, because I just believed so wholeheartedly in the power of food as medicine. And I wanted other families to have access to this beautiful food. So that was the beginning. And then you want to know how it morphed into the lunch lady? Oh my God. It's yeah. So well, the lunch lady too, but I know that, um, yeah, if we, if we started at really step one of the, the, the Hillary's claim to fame, right. I'd, I'd like to get into, um, how the heal your gut cookbook came to be. Right. Was that just, was that after dealing with your son's issues? Yeah. So then I, um, I decided to, I really wanted to go back and get some sort of degree. So I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I did that all online so that I had some sort of, um, credential to say that I could, you know, give people some help and advice. And I started teaching cooking classes out of my home. I just wanted to shout it from the rooftops. And um, there 
we have a daughter, one of our tri- uh, triplets, our only girl, we have four boys and a girl, she has epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always in a quest to kind of try and figure out what I could do for her. And I knew food was a big part. And um, so I had a medical intuitive told us that the GAPS diet would be good for her and for our whole family, actually. And so, which is the gut and psychology syndrome, um, like the gut brain connection and Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride was the founder of that or the creator. And she had healed her child of autism probably 20 something years ago at this point. So I decided to just dive into that. And a woman that was in my cooking class was also on the GAPS diet and she's a photographer and, and we were both struggling because there was just nothing out there that was really inspiring and beautiful and it was just very confusing and conflicting information. So she was like, we should write a book. And I was like, we should. And so we just literally pitched it to a, um, actually Diana Rogers gave us her uh, publishing company, which we ended up breaking up with them uh, after a while. But um, because he wanted it to be a paleo book. He was just like, it has to have paleo on the front. And I'm like, it's not paleo. It's So I stuck to my guns, which I think was good because it is a really um, specific niche. You know, people who are looking to heal their gut. Um, you know, understood what they were getting. So we we set out to write this book, and um, and then literally, I handed the book over to the publishing company um, to be you know put into book form. And then like a week later, I think it was like a week later. So my husband at the time got diagnosed with throat cancer. Wow. So then it was just this whole you know whirlwind of trying to heal him and. We didn't tell anybody for eight months because at that point I knew that like he was like a big old, just a dirty fish tank. Like his immune system was so, um, so just compromised and that if he were to run into treatment that I felt like it just wouldn't be um, serving him that well and he wouldn't be able to fight. Yeah. And if you have a strong immune system. So anyway, we ended up moving to California to a, a new way of life, get out of stress, a more holistic treatment. And then um, we moved around three times and landed in Topanga because of the Manzanita school. So his first day out of bed, someone, we were like, let's take a drive to Topanga. We've never, you know, we're in this little bubble. And mm-hmm. somebody at the store was like, oh, you got to go check out this new school. It's in its first year and people are moving here for it. And I went, we drove right there. And the chef was like, oh, the kids just caught their own fish today and we cooked it up and I really want to roast a whole goat. And I was like, what? Whoa. I have found my place. (laughs) So that was it. We literally were like, we're moving to Topanga. So we applied and we got really um, amazing financial aid because we had, you know, three kids at the time that were headed in there. And so it just sort of was like divine alignment, like everything just lined up. That is amazing. So... Yeah, and then I can tell you, I guess, how I moved into the lunch lady, but that's how I got to Topanga and how I ended up at Manzanita. Yeah, it's great. It's going to hit home for a lot of people because it 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 becomes this like n equals one thing of it. Just it's it becomes like citizen science where you're like, you know, your son had eczema and it's just steroid creams and pills and this and that and like like you said, the the term that you said that drives me nuts is like, well, this is his lot in life. And you're like, right. oh, really? We have to settle for this. You know, and then with your daughter, I know the epilepsy thing was big too. That's actually uh, to give people some backstory. One of the first conversations we had, I was showed up at your house, and uh, through Diana Rogers, and was just we ended up just chatting about seizures. We talked about my niece and your daughter and everything. That's how we we ended up here. But yeah, I I, I want to talk about um, how. I guess my question is, 
Manzanita, did Manzanita come to you for this or did you have to do any convincing or think? Cause that's what people, I think people yeah. kind of fear the school system, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's oh, like yeah. parents. Well, so, yeah. yeah you know, I just, I always tell people, I'm like, it's as if parents are like afraid they're going to get detention if they go like challenge the teacher or challenge the administrator. So I want to see how this relationship came to be. Yeah. Well, I did. So for about 10, maybe it was a little less than 10 years or so. I, in Concord, Mass, I tried for a long time with the public school system, and it was really challenging. I mean, we like finally got somewhere, and then the head of um, of food services, he was somebody who had worked on the, the show that Jamie Oliver did about changing school lunches, so we were like, woohoo, this is amazing, and then he had a baby, and he was like, I'm out of here, I'm going to move closer to home, and I was like, what? Oh, my God. So we had to start over, and it was just like, you know, brand new director of food service. I was just, you know, it. I'm sure a lot of parents can relate. I think they just tire you out mm. and then your kids graduate from that school and you're like, all right, whatever, I'm out of here. So um, it really, that was really frustrating for me. Really, really frustrating. Um, so I, but then when moving to to the Manzanita school, I was so excited and the school was only like 30 kids at this point. But then as it got bigger, they started to outsource the, um, the lunches and they just went downhill. They weren't really up to par with, I thought, which was what would be in alignment with the school. It's a nature-based school. And I'm like, you know, we really need to be serving meats that are, you know, from animals that are sustainably raised and organic vegetables and local seasonal, all this stuff. It just, you know, for, for a school that's very in line with nature, um, you know, it was just like, we are, we are a part of nature. We are, you know, with our microbiomes and everything. It just didn't seem in alignment. So I pushed my way in. I got hired as the snack coordinator and a okay. consultant to the lunch lady, the actual lunch lady that was outsourced. So I was like, this is great. I gave her my book. I gave her nourishing traditions. I'm like, we can make bone broth. I'll help you. We could do all these things. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Smile, smile, smile. And then I got pulled over by the head of school. She was like, that can't happen again. Like she freaked out. She wants to quit. You're just like totally overwhelmed her. And looking back now, I'm like, of course that was probably not the right approach. She was like, I don't want to work harder. You know, she services eight schools and here I was this little like, you know, whippersnapper coming in like we can change everything. And so I got backed off and I just started doing the snack and that was like a hundred snacks a day. And I was in a bit of a panic mode because I'd only ever cooked for my family. So I'm like, how am I going to make a hundred of anything? And I was reaching out to friends and local restaurants. And, and then one friend said to me, like, just do it yourself first. Just try before you start like outsourcing everything. And now I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, like not only am I making the snack, but I'm making lunches now for everybody. And it is doable. Mm -hmm. But I just started going to the farmer's market, reaching out to all the um, national brands and local brands that I had become friends with through the Weston Price Foundation over years of going to conferences and just people that I knew like Organic Pastures and Sandeep from Pure Indian Foods Ghee and, um, you know, whomever I could think about. And then I would go to the farmer's market and just get whatever was surplus or cool or good teaching moment. If they had a ton of zucchini that I'd make zoodles or um, if they had sunchokes, like I remember roasting sunchokes and making a soup and I was like lying in bed at night like, oh my God, they're going to hate the soup. It's like a brown soup and they chowed it the next day I'm like oh my gosh that was the biggest surprise That's so I great. just started to show what could be done yeah and then come December it just still the lunches I mean I was still making my own kids lunch because I didn't want to 
I didn't want to have them eat what was being served every day. So I had a really frank discussion with the head of school and there were some other health issues. And I, um, I just said like, what are you waiting for? Like, you know, we, you, he's seen our story and it's so heartbreaking with like, I mean, my husband, ex-husband now, but he's still alive. Thank God. But you know, it was just, it's devastating. You know, mm. anybody who's been to, everybody's been touched by cancer. It's devastating. And so um, I just said, you know, these kids deserve the best, like right now. And I can do that for him. He's like, if I give you the job right now, can you handle it? And I was like, yes, I can handle it. You know, inside, like, oh my God, oh my God, what did I just commit to? <laughs> but, and so he said, okay, like, let me, you know, do some work. And he gave me the job over Christmas break. So I had like a week to like hire staff and clean out all the like aluminum pots and pans and fix it all up to, you know, how I wanted it and hi- and get people in there and write a menu and get going. So that was like a year and a half ago. And you went as far as you purged even the cookware and everything. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Like it was a full, like full on start from scratch, you know, and I hired um, a woman who was a chef who, uh, Pam, who's in the kitchen with me, thank God. She just, she was a trained chef. So she was able to have those systems, you know, in her head that she knew had to be put in place and help me with that. And even still, we're still refining systems, but it's all about systems. So it's not hard. It's just time and systems. Yeah. Yeah. I I tell people that systems is just so important. There's a great book actually called the checklist manifesto that talks about that, where you can just, you can build a system, you can systematize anything and the the time saving and the error correction and all that is just staggering. But so for a year and a half, you, well, it's crazy to me because I, I would say most Americans at this point probably haven't even had a farm to table restaurant experience. And now you've been giving a farm to table lunch experience every day to these kids for a year and a half. So I guess my biggest question is with this farm to table thing kind of being unknown as an experience for most people in the country. um, Like I said, parents are kind of afraid of administrators and teachers and stuff. I also see a lot of parents that are afraid of their kids. Like they're afraid the kid's going to have a tantrum. If they remove the sugar, they're going to have fights and blah, blah, blah. So how did the kids respond to this change over a farm from the junky lunches, the prepackaged stuff that you didn't really want to this new farm to table mode, like, did they, did they embrace it? Did some parents fight you? Did some kids not want to eat? Like, how did that go? The transition? Well, the snack was really awesome because I would have kids like, you know, doing daffies, like off the stairs on the way to snack, like what's for snack today, Miss Hillary? Like they were so excited. And so it was always something different and fun and they could try it. So that really um, developed a trust between us. And so they, you know, it was just like, just try it. You know, you don't have to love it, but just try it. And then with the, you know, I was just talking to a friend about this, that when we first started, I was making like, you know, all these salads of like, like the, the vegetarian sides or whatever would be like tomato mozzarella and basil or tomato corn and basil and, or zoodles, you know, I was mixing things. And then I realized it was just like too gourmet. Mm. So I had to kind of ratchet back and just offer like everything individually so that they could pick and choose. So it wasn't overwhelming because we are fourth through 12th grade. So, you know, a little fourth grader might be like, um, like everything's touching and I don't like that, you know? So, um, so it's really like, I, I firmly believe in the model that we're setting is in training lunch leaders, because what you need is this constant, um, group of people that are going to show up put love into your food and then come out and talk to you about it every day, day after day and encourage you to try things or the kids and, and explain why even to the staff, to the parents, we invite the parents in once a month for a 
Pal program, which is parents at lunch, so they can enjoy it and see what we're up to. Um, they're allowed to come in and volunteer. But yeah, it takes it takes tending because we've we've gone so far in the other direction mm. that it's like, you know, really, we really are retraining taste buds. But I will say the kids, there really wasn't a lot of pushback. I mean, there there are, you know, certain kids that are like more finicky than others, but mm-hmm. it's a beautiful sight when you see all these kids and their peers and staff all sitting down together enjoying a beautiful meal. They know, you know, and I can often get up on the little stage and tell them, you know, hey, this is from this farm and make sure if you're going to the farmer's market that you tell your parents to go visit this guy and say thank you and or we invite farmers in. It's really wow. like, it's really about a constant tending, I think. And that's what develops that trust. And then the parents see what's happening and the staff, they understand that you're you're pouring your heart into this and there's a reason why. You know? Yeah, and I think the education piece is huge because there's the, the disturbing trend that I see is, is one, I, I like that you sn- started with snacks because I want to chat a little bit about what those snacks look like because the word snacks is problematic in my mind. I go through this with parents all the time. It's like, okay, I can feed my kid this meal that's scrambled eggs and avocado or whatever, but what about snacks? What about snacks? And the right. issue is that in American culture, we hear the word snacks and it just brings to mind like goldfish and gummy worms and just like right. cheap processed sugar and carbohydrates. And then the other thing that happens is parents look for these substitutes. And what they mean by substitutes is like, what's a healthy version of goldfish? What's a healthy version of pancakes and syrup? What's a healthy version of waffles or blah, blah, blah. They want these healthy versions of things, but they don't understand the training mechanism that's in place there. So if you teach a kid waffles and syrup are fine because you got them from some keto company or, you know, this junk food is fine because it's low carbohydrate and keto approved, but still comes in a packaged box or whatever. You're training them that waffles and pancakes and junk food are okay. And 99.9% of the time out in public, the keto friendly version is not going to be available. So they're just going to eat the pancakes and syrup. Right. You know, so it's really, okay. yeah, exactly. It's all like a mindset training and getting them used to these things through this kind of tending and nourishment and education. So uh, just out of curiosity, when you were doing the snack thing, what, what, does, what do snacks look like for you? Like, what do you consider good, solid snacks for kids? Well, I mean, and the, and the truth of it is really like you and I both know, if you're feeding your kids really nutrient-dense meals, that they probably won't be that hungry for a snack, right? Yes, exactly. So, but you can't depend on all kids getting a big nourishing breakfast or, you know, with lots of fats and protein and whatever. So, um, or they're certainly not having like a bulletproof hot cocoa or whatever, you know, they're not <laughs> yeah. like, I'm going to fast until lunch, you know? So, um, so the snacks, yeah, like, I mean, we'll do anything from like when I was just doing snacks, you know, I would roast up vegetables with healthy fats. I mean, healthy fats is one of the biggest, biggest things that I really feel strongly about. Cause you can go to a farm to table restaurant, but if they're dumping canola oil and everything, yep. because they just cut, you know, they're all about costs and it's like, well, that stinks. Yeah. You know, so, but if you're, if you're tossing things with beautiful fats and especially for the vegetarian kids, if you're getting ghee on stuff, it's, it's amazing. Like even when we do popcorn, um, which is like a, a carbohydrate, we use three fats. We use a um, red palm oil for my friend who sustainably harvests it in Gambia. Her family lives in Gambia and they've been doing this for many, many years. It's called Juca's Organics. So most Palm oil is not sustainably harvested. Right. So we have palm oil, which makes it look like movie theater popcorn. Then we use coconut oil and ghee. So the, the smoke points are higher. 
And then we put Redmond's real salt on top. We'll put seaweed for extra minerals. Like, you know, I call wow. it like berry dust from Dr. Linda's. Um, or we grind our own, but it's just like, so it's giving them, again, that is like an example of something that might be like, they might be buying smart food or some sort of pirate booty or something like that. But this yeah. is a little more of a nutrient dense version, which again, isn't going to be available out in the general, you know, grocery store, but mostly it's all, um, on a daily basis, the snack, we have broth stouts, we have bone broth, we have a miso soup for the vegetarians. We have a raw kefir. We're really fortunate to be able to serve raw dairy. Mm. So we make a raw kefir. And in the beginning, we had to put fruit and, um, you know, more honey than I thought was, you know, probably what I would want to put in. But we had to entice the kids with a little bit more sweet. And then we just ratcheted it back over yeah, yeah, the of course. course of the year. So now, you know, some of them drink it plain. I mean, not everybody comes to get kefir because it's more tart. So now I'm kind of like working back in thinking this year, like, okay, how can I entice more kids to have raw kefir, you know? So it's like, you got to constantly be making things different and exciting. We do sprouted um, nuts that we soak and dehydrate ourselves. So they're more digestible, wow. but I might find like almonds in the shell that are right off the tree. And then I have, so I put a bowl of those out. Then I put a bowl of like them half opened, like when they've lost their first outer shell. And then I have the almond that's not sprouted. And then our almonds that have been soaked and dehydrated. And so I have them see all the stages and I have them try a nut that's like probably like the nut they're going to taste in the grocery store. And then I have them try what we've done to it. And I feel like once you have a crispy nut, like you don't go back. And then once wow. you understand nut gut or you felt I mean, most people have had too many nuts at one point in their life and been like oh i had too many nuts you yeah. know so it's you know and then educating them is like maybe just have like 10 nuts don't have 50 <laughs> you know, it's easy to overdo it and this is why you don't want to so um we do a trail mix uh and we try and have coconut in there and sometimes we'll put a few little bit of dried fruit but i know that that's you know again sugary and training their their taste buds but again you have to entice them so it's local we dry it ourselves yeah. or we're getting raisins from a local farmer that are just beautiful and unique and they're giant and kids are like what is that so you don't need too many of them yeah so and then we'll cut up fruit but um and then we might do raw just raw cheese cubes and um what else do we do if we have anything fun and unique like i found chestnuts at the farmer's market that are like prickly balls that doesn't sound great but they're like really prickly <laughs> and i put a sign out like who knows what these are so then you're engaging them and like nobody knew what they were and then i was like there's a christmas song that involves these and so then wow. you kind of get them engaged in it and it's just you got you have to make it fun and engaging and get them to come over to the snack table or we might have them like hey guys we're hat we have a whole box of peas that need to be shucked would somebody go sit at snack and shell the peas or corn or whatever. So then they see the corn wow. with like grubs on it. And they understand that, um, like I remember one kid, they, they have stewardship at school. So they tend to a certain part of the land. And if they're by the kitchen, they will sometimes offer to jump in. So I had them shuck all this corn that had total grubs on it. And, and then, you know, we chop it all off, we clean it up. And because most people at the grocery store just see beautiful corn that, you know, think that's the way it comes. And then the next day I sauteed corn with basil and a little salt and put it in lettuce cups. And like the kid who shucked it the day before was like, was this the corn that we shucked <laughs> yesterday? <laughs> yeah. So he was having a little bit of trouble deciphering or to decide whether to like, 
you know, after seeing the grubs. But then actually this year, so that was last year, this year, I had kids like literally throwing grubs in the air and eating them. It became like, what was that <laughs> food show where they were, they, you know, challenge you to eat it's bugs. Like fear factor. Yeah. 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 It, was it was like fear factor at Manzanita. I was like, okay. What's wow. But they, you know, so it's all part of nature, right? So they're just, they're getting exposed to that. This is the way things are supposed to be. It's not just. Yeah. It's so beautiful because it is, we, we just live in this like ultra sanitized world. So there's like, there's a couple pieces to this because my brother's son, um, I think I, th- I want to say he's almost three now. Uh, little guy. And you you look at snacks. So people think of snacks. And again, snacks bring to mind this nonsense junk. Um, I'm trying not to swear on this podcast in case parents listen to this one with their kids, because I swear a lot. <laughs> I owe like $3,000 to the swear jar. Or more. So my kids are like, um, I know. That's why we get along so well. <laughs> but yeah, it's this, this, this idea of snacks, right? So snacks bring to mind this junk. And people right. always laugh because my brother will like send his kid to school or whatever. Like he'll use a snack size Ziploc bag. That's the only thing it has in common is it's a snack size, right? But he'll put scrambled eggs in there or like sliced up avocado. And Tyler just reaches his hand in there and he'll eat, you know, three scrambled eggs as like his snack or eat oh, half wow. an avocado as a snack. But then I've actually told people this and they're like, yeah, but don't his hands get messy? <laughs> like, wait the a minute. Kid. The kid, yeah, he's the kid a doesn't kid. care. Right. Yeah. Bring like some non-toxic baby wipes with you and wipe the kid's hands after. Yeah. Run his hands under the, the sink. Like Yeah, wash his hands after. Yes, it's this idea of the... I know, people can get a little manic about that. But they really do. And it's the idea of just simply the... I always I have a t-shirt, this, t-shirts that say this, just eat whole foods, change the world. Is it's The problematic term is this idea of snacks. Snacks has been hijacked, quote unquote snacks, has been hijacked by marketing companies. A snack yeah. is just a small portion of food. Right. That's it. If we can look at it like that, it gets better. So I, I want to kind of give people some practical advice here because you, you've listened to my interviews and stuff and we know each other well. So it's, I, I tend to be more conversational than interview, but it helps to when we share our own stories, because you and I both got into this health and wellness thing. What It's what I call just wisdom through experience. We now right. have wisdom through experience that we can share with other people. So how do you handle I guess uh, I hate using the word normal because I feel like it like pigeonholes people, but I'm like, how do you handle quote unquote normal people events? Because the biggest challenge that I see here is church events, school events, doctor's offices, summer camp, wherever kids go, grownups are handing them junk. And then I see parents that are almost mad at their kids. They're like, well, no, you don't understand. My kid just won't give up soda and my kid just won't give up the sugar. And I'm like, a child doesn't even know junk food exists until grown-ups hand it to them. This is not the kid's fault, you know? Yeah, so how really do you navigate that? Tragic. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, a, a couple of things. I was going to say, I remember my fifth baby eating liverwurst all the time. Liver, no problem. Because they don't have any preconceived notions. They're not like, ew, that's gross. That's an organ meat. Exactly. You know? They love the like sensation in their mouth. And so with avocado, same thing, like expose your kids as young as you can. I mean, like baby's first food should be like a barely cooked egg yolk and shaved liver on top. Yeah. So, you know, but most parents like, what? You know, they don't quite understand that, but just keep exposing them at a young age. Um, But it does get really tricky. I mean, my kids have been through the GAPS diet for two years and they see broth and they're like, oh, mom. (laughs) 
please don't make us drink broth. I'm like, I'm like the cobbler whose kids have no shoes. They're like going through the line. I'm like, please, can you just be a shining example of what I tell you every day? (laughs) And, you know, I'm like, but I have to let it go a little bit because they're already like, my mom's such a health nut, you know, and I sat down with the, um, I did a podcast with Hilda Labrada Gore from the Weston Price Conference last week, or Weston Price Foundation, and I was at the um, head of that chapter leader's house, and her two daughters were there who are teenagers, and they're they're in the same boat. My kids, my kids are now teenagers, and it's just like they want to be normal, mm. but they they kind of get what their mom's saying, but it's annoying and they don't really want to, you know, they want it. It doesn't taste the same. And so you're, you're really up against the most evil opponent because every corner you turn somebody or something is there to entice your child. Yes. So I guess I heard a podcast, I think it was with Hilda and I forget who she was with, but um, what you can do for your kids is you can set them up with a foundation of health. And that's what we're trying to do with these kids at the schools. It's like, I'm like, we're building brains, people. Like we are building brains. You only have a certain amount of time, you know, while their brains are still growing and everything and you want to just maximize nutrition. So if you can set them up with a foundation of health and they know what it feels like to feel good, mm. then when they go off the rails, like my son who, I don't know if this was recorded or if it was before recording that he went to a, um, high school graduation party and he's like we got to go right now because I feel like I'm gonna throw up I'm like what'd you do and he's like I drank three sodas I'm like why would you do that so you know they're going to do those things but then he he immediately felt sick so they're going to have to go down the dark path and then you just really pray that they circle back um, and that they don't go too far down that they get sick so that's a real hard it's a hard place to be as a parent because you, when you know, when you know better, you do better. And you just want your kids to follow suit. You just want them to get it like you do. But I remember being, we were talking before and like we would have been buddies in college. Like we were idiots. Yes. We went off the rails and did all these things and we're invincible. And so, you know, the human body is pretty miraculous. And so I remember my, my eczema baby after the gaps died going off to school and there was like a pizza party and it was like, we're on the tail end of the gaps. And he was just like, Am I going to be able to have pizza? And my husband and I were like, um, I don't know. We went back and forth and like, we sent him off to school the next day. I'm like, did we even give him a definitive answer? We were just like, so like, oh my God, he's going to have pizza. And he came home and he was just like, I had, I had one piece of pizza. And I was like, oh my God, it's just so great. And then I was just like, so happy that he didn't have a reaction, that he was okay, that his body handled that. So I think as a parent, there's a lot of um, vigilance when you can control Mm -hmm. the environment and certainly in your house if you don't buy it they don't have access to it and then modeling good behavior so sitting down at the table with them every night if you can or as much as you can and just modeling is the way that I think the highest rates your your best success rates will come if you just you know say that this is the way we eat here and this is the way I want you to you know I want you to thrive I don't want you to be sick I want you to but it's it's hard because you don't want to project fear and disease on your kids either. So I don't yeah, know. That, that's the tricky thing. It's the fear piece because it's, it's, I, I always tell people that they're everything you think you know about nutrition has been sold to you by marketing companies, not by experts, just by marketing companies. It's been, it's like you use the word evil, which I think is wonderful. So it, it, I, I always try to tell people that there's like no right or wrong answer and you got to do your own research and everything. But there are some people that still think that like 
Children need sugar. And if you think that is the case, you are just wrong. It's just all there is to it. Like the marketing companies are evil. Sugar is actual poison to a human body. It really is, particularly outside of whole food forms. And that's why it's so important to talk about whole foods. And the I, I love that you touched on, um, I'm, I'm gonna talk to my brother about this too, but like the egg yolk and shaved liver, right? If you say that to most parents who's like, they're just now getting their kid like off breastfeeding and onto food and you say like, give them egg yolk and shaved liver, they will be afraid. Yeah. This is how yeah. bad the marketing indoctrination is. Yeah, yes. I, I need to give them like rice cereal and Cheerios. Yeah. Cheerios are with like glyphosate. You know, exactly. it's like, you know, so it's, it's really, and then like, I have another friend whose child is seven who from the beginning of eating started eating the pouches mm. and still to this day will only eat like bacon, pizza and pouches Yeah, and French fries. So very oh, limited Lord. diet, but then the pouch thing really bums me out. Even if it's a healthier version of whatever, it's like there's no connection. There's no mama in the kitchen or dad in the kitchen making food. There's no smell. There's no sight, no tech. Like it's just same texture, same thing. Squeeze it in as fast as you can. Like it's- Well, that's what's weird is I I try to just teach people through logic. So you're like, okay, so you could go get pasture-raised eggs and you could get, you know, 100% grass-fed organ meats. So you have like beef liver, and egg yolks. So shaved beef liver, probably the most nutrient dense gram for gram food on planet earth that you put on an egg yolk and the child eats it and you're nervous like you're doing something wrong, but you will walk into Walmart and buy Gerber sludge in a little can that's nothing but fruit. You don't know where it came from. You know nothing about the manufacturing facility. You don't know if there's insects in there that got mashed up during the manufacturing process when they made 1 billion pounds of this sludge together in some aluminum machine and you will just shove that in your kid's mouth and think nothing of it like just the common sense of that but the thing is and i'm not blaming parents it's that they need people like us to say that out loud like that description that i just gave of where baby food comes from you need to understand that yeah you know but people don't see it there's no connection i know and the thing is it's like you know the human body is so resilient that not everybody is going to be sick right away. You know, right. so it's almost like you'd be better off if you drank Coke and you dropped dead. You'll yeah. be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give my baby that. But it's like a slow drip of like slowly, you know, and everybody's different. So one thing that I learned through studying the GAPS diet and the, the microbiome is that when a baby goes through the birth canal, they swallow a big gulp of what is their first inoculation of their microbiome. Absolutely. So most moms today, I mean, that's another reason I'm really passionate about feeding these kids and educating these high schoolers and these young women that have a chance to rebalance their microbiome before giving birth and, mm. the, and the men, but especially the women who are going to, you know, the hopefully baby will go through the birth canal and then, um, and be inoculated with a healthy microbiome. There's just, there's just no way that this generation's of kids or microbiomes are, like our great grandmothers were. So in most, right. like when my book first came out, it was like 287 toxins are in the average baby's cord blood. So they're starting out toxic, then they're inheriting a comp- compromised microbiome. Then they get a vaccine day one or two of life, and then they might get an ear infection and get antibiotics. I think my mm-hmm. nephew or niece was on like 10 rounds of antibiotics by the time they were two. Yep. 
we all know that just wipes out the good and the bad. And then people try and put yogurt back in, but it's usually like sugary yogurt. Sugar-filled yogurt, yeah. You know, probiotics that aren't really doing, I mean, there's just, then there's all this confusion because what we're finding now is there's just layers of disease. So it's yes. really like, I think kids in their 20s right now are really struggling to figure out what's going on. A lot of them have yeah. stuff going on and they're like, I'm giving up this, but that's not helping. I'm bloated. I don't know what's causing it. I don't poop. Like, it's just so confusing. And then you want to be a kid. So like my goal is really that these kids won't spend their lives chasing health. They will be able to pursue their dreams and passions and go out and enjoy life instead of right. like you know, with cancer and epilepsy and all that. You, you spend your days and all your money because everything you want to do is not covered by insurance. Yes. Chasing health and it's heartbreaking when you don't find answers you know so yeah um, well there's yeah. a there's a big thing i want to touch on here because i love that you talked about your grandmother's microbiome or your great grandmother's microbiome right so th what people need to understand is that this whole um high carbohydrate low fat thing really started being promoted around the 1950s so it's not a very long time that this has been around right. so now we have people looking at a incredible rise in all chronic disease and meteoric rise 85% of the population is overweight and obese we now have the ADHD ADD epidemic we have people on the autism spectrum just through the roof they're estimating that I think one in four kids are going to be on the I spectrum by one in, well one in two are going to have chronic disease yes it's, so it's, it's like, we're already here it's already happening it's one in two which is absolutely so the, the thing we think about that I, I want to try to give people a visual of this and, and have, have them wrap their heads around it is I get these parents and this is where I really start to lose my temper. So you'll get these parents that are like 60 and they're like, well, I grew up on peanut butter and jelly and I'm just fine. So I'm going to feed my kid peanut butter and jelly. You're like, this is literally transgenerational. This gut microbiome, like you talked about, what is the fetus exposed to? There's toxins in the umbilical cord now. Like, what are we doing? And then you get the crazy thing where I'm going to remove you from this statement. This is Justin speaking because this is going to be controversial, right? Nothing drives me crazier than people who want this smoking gun of they're like, no, autism or my child's problems is because of this shot that this doctor gave my kid. It is because of this, right? It might be, sure, maybe. The science is completely undecided there. But you didn't think for a second about the fact that for nine months while that baby was inside you, you ate cheesecake, Doritos, and Mountain Dew every single day. You didn't think about that at all. So you want, not only do you want a smoking gun for this issue, you want a smoking gun that absolves you of any and all responsibility whatsoever. And that's what we need to change is the actual culture is broken. Right, you know, it's right. when you're, when you're pregnant, you're eating for two so you can have an extra pint of Ben and Jerry's, you know? Yeah, I know. It's so twisted and it's, it really need people just need to have that awareness that every, every body is totally different. Every baby is born different. You know, you cannot say a blanket statement that the way this baby handles the shot is going to be the exact same way that this baby is going to yes, handle Yes, yes. So everything that you do, and yes, it is a responsibility. As soon as you're pregnant, you are, you're responsible for another human. Yeah. And before you're pregnant, if you're planning on getting pregnant, you have that ability to at least do the best you can to rebalance, which is overwhelming for a lot of people because it's like it, it requires work. It does, right? it does. So, but there's no better gift because it's going to be a hell of a lot more work if you have a sick baby. Mm-hmm, 100%. So no better gift than you can give to yourself and your baby and your future and your baby's babies than yeah. to take care of things like right now. Like now is the moment. And it's a blip in your life. Like say you spend two years 
healing or say it's been six months. I mean, I've had, um, there's a mom at Manzanita who has four kids and her third or second child was nine failure to thrive. Like had, um, like dark circles had gastritis Mm. burping all the time for like four years. She decided to do the GAPS diet for in two months. The kid, I mean, they're still doing it, but within two months, even the family, the extended family that was very critical, like, you know, he's fine. Just what are you doing? Yeah. They're all, their eyes were opened. Yeah. And he's like, wow, this child has come alive. Right. And now that mom will come to the school and get like heart from me and liver, any bones I have, any, I mean, she's just, and that's where we're really trying to help parents too is that if I can get, you know, good prices and get stuff into the homes, mm-hmm. then, you know, so be it. That'd be it's so great. We want that, those questions to be asked and them to start to inquire and then change their lifestyle at home, you know? So Yeah. And it is, it's, it's such a blip and it doesn't take long. Like when you talk about retraining taste buds, I had this, uh, so I, I've been experimenting with this days or something. Yeah. I, that's so interesting. You said that. Cause I was just going to say, it's been about two weeks for me. So I hate the taste of organ meats. Hate, hate, hate it so much that like I would freeze it and cut it up into little cube sizes. Yeah. So I just like swallow, you know, little cubes of frozen liver or whatever. And I finally, uh, I talked to this amazing guy on this Island in Croatia. He's like traveled the world and lived with indigenous tribes and stuff. And he was explaining that like all babies like the taste of liver. They intuitively like the taste, but parents won't give it to their kids because they don't like the taste as a grown We're squeamish. We're like, Ooh, exactly. So what I did was every day I took four ounces of liver every day and just kind of flashed, like seared it on a pan and just ate it. And I hated it. And here I am probably like 16, 17 days later. And like, I crave it. I wake up in the morning yeah. and I'm excited to eat liver. liver. I changed yeah. it that quickly. You know, it's a blip on the radar. I'm not even going to remember that two weeks where I had to like stomach mm-hmm. some like liver. It. Yeah. Yeah. And it's switching that, you know, this is gross or this is, I mean, I can get squeamish about like, I think I cook tongue. Like my grandmother used to eat tongue. Mm-hmm. Like every, you know, holiday there was tongue out and they loved it. And my mom said they had like liver parties in Maine and we used to have chicken livers wrapped in bacon and I cooked a tongue and was just like, oh my God, like, I think I overcooked it and I had to like scrape. (laughs) This is a lot, this is a lot. But, you know, I mean now, and my kids will even say like, mom, just grind it up and put it into like the, you know, red sauce or burgers, like just sneak it in. Yeah, yeah. Don't try and give us liver, just sneak it in. And I actually buy the dog grind at Belcampo. That's just, it's really just grass fed beef mixed in with organ meats so it's wow. like someone's already done it for me yeah so, but it's labeled dog grind so some people will have to like wrap their brain around that but it's not that's so funny i a guy came over yesterday i bought a new uh uh chest freezer and a local farmer this guy sam harvey in tennessee is amazing he got his free range tennessee free range farm tennessee or something like that but um yeah, he's great. So he came over and I was talking about organ meats. I said, do you sell a lot of organ meats? Cause I bought some beef hearts from him. I got beef livers from him. And, uh, he said, you know, I only sell organ meats as dog food. Yeah. And I was like, well, I will take all of your organs, please. Uh, just give them all no to me and forget That's about the dogs. That mom is that healed her son. She's just like, give me all your organ meats. And then another mama called me like last week, she's going to start some sort of uh, organ meat, um, grind or whatever because she had a daughter who was dealing with depression and anxiety and she just started incorporating more organ meats and that alone turns huge it's huge it's it's like like, nature's perfect multivitamin that's what it is yeah you know 
So, so and you can take it in a pill form if you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Paleo Valley does it. Ancestral supplements does it. Those, those are really cool too. It's just tricky because it's like, you know, if, if you were eating four ounces of beef liver, you'd probably have to take 30 of those pills to get like this, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's really it's not so cost effective. Too. Yes. I cooked it up in the kitchen at school. I cooked some beef liver, um, which is like some onions. And I think I put some cumin on it, a little salt. And like my staff, we were like, I was going to show it to the kids and have them eat try some. And then we ended up eating it all. And then I was like, <laughs> you know what? I was like, we should just eat this because we all need And like, you just instantly feel it. Yeah, you know, they, yeah. They those things where you're like, wow, I just feel energy. It was like, everyone was like, oh my gosh. The same with chicken skin. We'll like fry up chicken skin. Then we're like, well, it's not really enough for the children. We'll just eat it ourselves. There you go. You feed the staff too, right? So right. You deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. So I want to dive into this because obviously I could chat with you about just life all day, but uh, I want to get into the nitty gritty of what you're actually doing. So we have the, obviously this cultural problem where these foods are cemented in American culture as the norm. And that's, I want to get into why the change that is happening, what the change that you're creating really um, sort of has to start at the private school level. So I talked to Rob Wolf about this on my podcast with him. And he explained that like the same organization that's in charge of the prison food program is in charge of the school lunch program. And there's politicians and there's lobbyists and this and that. And it's just, he's basically like, don't hold your breath on changing the public school system. So what we need to do is lead by example and show what can be done. So if you take your lunch program that you have designed what would you like to see happen with the rest of the US? Like, how does this actually become feasible? Well, I, I really feel strongly that I cannot go, like, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking with schools across the country and there's all sorts of hurdles from like, we don't have an oven or we don't have a kitchen or we need to replace this or we don't have, you know, and so those problems, I can't go in and solve for everybody. But what we can do is I can train lunch leaders. So my mission is really to train a new wave of lunch leaders. We're naming them lunch leaders because I have three men that work in my kitchen. And I'm like, are you a lunch lad, a lunch lord? Like, what are you? <laughs> so I thought lunch leaders is perfect. But to train a new wave of lunch leaders to sweep across the nation, infiltrate the school systems and communities, and disrupt the trend of chronic illness in this next generation of kids. So... With training them, you're again, you're, we've got this model that we know can be replicated. And it really, it's like creating a new job in the marketplace. Like, I think it's really difficult to, um, nothing against the current lunch ladies that are showing up and cooking because they're doing the best they can with the resources they have. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to create a vibe and an excitement that, um, that this is a cool opportunity. You can graduate from culinary school or IIN or NTA or um, you know, which are health related programs, uh, and, and be a lunch leader. It's like running your own restaurant with like a really cute clientele, you know, and you're getting this (laughs) opportunity to really change people's habits and to really make an impact. And so it's, it's super exciting. So I think that the, I just see it, I really see it unfolding and we've had people really interested. We're doing this lunch leader training Academy now, but we've had people interested from people who are starting a preschool people who are in a, the restaurant business who want to shift out of what they've been doing and get healthier and offer their 
customers healthier foods. They want to get healthier themselves. There's um, the YMCA in Maine is doing farm to Y. They're doing incredible things. So there's all sorts of, to be a lunch leader, you don't necessarily have to think like, oh my gosh, I I don't know if I want to be like a lunch lady at my kid's school. Mm. Like you can go into, even if you just gain the confidence to cook for yourself and then you can like have the confidence to go knock on the doors of the school and say like, Hey, like I know things can be better. They're doing it here. Let's figure out a way to, to create the shift. And that's how I think we're going to create this groundswell uh, from the bottom up where people are going to be able to make more change. I mean, we need to, what I want to inspire is passionate, grounded, connected, conscious, critical thinkers that can say, okay, I'm not in California. I'm in Maine. I don't have access to this all year round. What do I have access to? And then they ultimately have a subscription-based model where they can tie back into us and have be supported and also connected with each other. So if you're if you're in Maine and then there's like two other people in Maine doing the same thing that you didn't know about, but all of a sudden you know about them, you can have collective buying power, you can collaborate, you can be getting recipes from people across the country, you can be getting inspiration from all sorts of lunch leaders that are doing, you know, dynamic and amazing things. And how do they cross their hurdles? And then we have the lunch leader food tube, like Jamie Oliver's food tube, where, you know, if you're a sourdough expert or you're a slow roasting expert, or you're starting a preschool and you want to tell people how you did it, you can get on the tube on the YouTube or whatever and have, you know, have at it. And as long as you're in line with the ancestral wisdom and, you know, going back to traditional methods of cooking and preparing foods, then, bring it, right? It's going to take collaboration. It's like egos get out of the way. I always say to myself, like, check your ego at the door and let's do this. It's like for a higher purpose. You know, it's really about, you know, just having, changing the world and having fun as Jack Cornfield would say, changing the world and having fun while doing it. So absolutely. And it's, it's so beautiful to think about, like when we talk about grandparents and grandparents, like understand people, we have never had this kind of opportunity in the history of mankind. The reason why nutrition and marketing and all this got out of control is because the information was being siphoned to us. It was being right. funneled to us by these giant companies that, you know, we all watched TGI Friday growing up and saw all the commercials for, you know, Zatarain's rice or whatever we were getting, you know? So now we have this amazing spread of information. It's what Clovis is right now. We're doing it. This podcast, if you want to get involved, step one, share this podcast with people who will listen and we can build this, this, community, this tribe with Facebook groups and the TV like you talked about and all that. And then we have the um, these really conscious brands that come into play too, which I would like to think of myself as a conscious brand. And um, I also wanted to tell people about the, the condiment crusade. Can you tell yeah. me a bit about that? Yeah. So um, there are a lot of great people that are doing great things across the country. So including yourself. So um, it's really important to me to highlight those companies. So we have Um, like Primal Kitchen and Jovial Brand Foods and BioNature and Pure Indian Foods Ghee, um, Redmond's Real Salt, Jackson's Honest. I mean, people that are jumping on board uh, to help out and develop the first uh, school pricing so that other schools can have access to these foods. I mean, even, so my my goal with the condiment crusade, because just condiments alone, if you can do one thing for your school and switch out the condiments, like you've done a lot. Huge, huge a step. A lot. I mean, yeah. and so and even if you're in a, pri- a public school, it's really difficult because you can't, they won't really say no to commodity foods. So, you know, they're getting free mayonnaise or they're getting free ketchup or whatever that are filled with soybean oil and high fructose corn syrup. 
Mm-hmm. So one thing you can do, which is how I started at my public school, was to go to the nurse's office and ask for a list of ingredients. So mm. that's really eye-opening. And then when you expose that, it's like, hmm, I didn't realize all that was in my kid's food. You yeah. know, so I mean, some parents don't really care. But um, when you go to the, the, um, the head of school or whatever, they can't really deny that like high fructose corn syrup and red dye number 40 and all that is is safe. Right. I mean, they, can't, they can't, you know, promote that. No. So, um, so condiments alone are huge, but actually I went out to eat in Ojai, um, a few days ago. And this guy who owns the restaurant there has made huge inroads in Santa Barbara with training the staff there and really getting in front of the table. So there are people making headway, even a, um, a friend of mine who's in Park City, Utah, they've developed a parent, um, advocate group called Eats where they're putting pressure on the public school system, but they've been able to like raise a lot of money and raise awareness. And so you just, that's what I mean about having this, this, you know, using the World Wide web for like good things is that like, there are a lot of people doing amazing things. And I'm just one, you know, little person in Topanga, California, who believes that, you know, I can change the world, but it's just, I think that's what it takes is just people realizing that one person can make a difference and that at this point we need to shout it from the rooftops. And as you said, like the sugar is around every corner. This, my, mm-hmm. my, my phone, yeah. um, this I was just talking about is really challenging for parents. It's like, I didn't sign up for this. I was just listening yeah. to another podcast. I don't sit and listen to podcasts all day, but mm-hmm. um, my children are on the East coast, but um it's really hard. It's like we didn't sign up as parents to have to to be navigating like the food system and and media and phones all day long. Yeah. And that's what I feel like you can spend your whole day doing. So Absolutely. the more we can just raise the awareness and um, and think outside of the box and share ideas and collaborate, the better off we're going to be. Because it is it's super frustrating. Like even even for me, and I'm really conscious about it, but it's like really frustrating. Yeah, it's it's incredibly difficult. And it is, you know, I'm I'm tongue in cheek a lot of times and I'm harsh sometimes, but it is, I I do understand that the the obstacles are many. They're really countless at this point of the things that you have to navigate that and really like your grandparents and great grandparents and generations before can't help you with it because they didn't have to deal with it. You know, so what I really like here is what, what you're essentially talking about. It's, it's like a startup company, or the first person to create a cell phone, right? It's like, you're, you're doing proof of concept. So what we have here is proof of concept that you can make this work in a pub, in a private school setting and that we can roll this out and kind of, you know, we have like, like cookie cutter houses, right? They'll put up a new neighborhood and put these cookie cutter houses up. We can do cookie cutter farm to table school lunch programs. And what I think is important is that you're pioneering in the space. And another thing I want to talk about is Dexcom. Cause yeah. that's huge. Like my audience yeah. knows that I'm a, a biohacker for the last seven years. I've done all sorts of crazy experiments and I love quantifiable data. So yeah. I want to tell people with what you're working on for Dexcom and, and the implications this will have of like having actual data to bring to school systems. Yeah. So Dexcom is huge. I'll show you guys. Right there. Can everybody see that? Yeah, that's absolutely. Dexcom. I should tell everybody, I didn't realize I was going to be on video camera until five minutes before we got on. So my <laughs> top doesn't really match the bottom. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, the Dexcom blood glucose monitor, I think is just like 
the most wonderful, valuable tool that has come on the market and is available to the public now through a prescription um, through Costco. And it will be it will be even more so available in the next couple of years, I think. I think through like Google maybe or so. But right now, we're really on the cutting edge with, um, with being able to quantify that this way of eating is not spiking kids' blood glucose levels or... Mm anybody's. I mean, so I, I've been wearing one. Um, my partner's been wearing one for, um, who's Chuck from the head of slow food venture County, very interested in food and been, um, a partner in lunch. And he, we, he and I both been wearing them for months and it's just incredible to see how even we are with the way that we eat. So incorporating the healthy fats and, um, proteins and staying away from processed carbohydrates, but even having a really nice, beautiful piece of sourdough, I was saying like we make our own sourdough bread that's 48 hours fermented at the school that's um, locally grown grains and freshly milled. And that with, you know, big slab of butter and nice nutrient dense meal, it's, there's no spike. Right. So, but if you're going to sit and eat like four pieces of bread and, and, you know, I'm not saying like go have a whole loaf of bread or whatever, which is challenging because, you know, it is carbohydrate. So kids can be like, oh, I want more. The bread's so good. Easy to overeat, yeah. You know, easy to overeat. But it, it, we don't really eliminate anything, but we make sure that everything that we serve is as digestible and nutrient-dense as possible. So, yeah. um, but with the Dexcom, we have a, a group of um, adults and their kids who are volunteering to wear the monitors. They're really excited to do it. Some of the staff at Manzanita has really jumped on board because they've like, what's happened is there's this whole shift now with over, you know, two years of eating this way or a year and a half of being exposed to nutrient dense foods and whatnot. They're kind of all like, what is going on? Like, you know, mm. what is bone broth and why do I need to have it? And what are fermented foods and why, oh my gosh, why don't you serve this? And why do you serve that? And so it's, it's opening the conversation and now they're starting to take control of their own health. And that's where yeah. we need you because they're, everyone's like got different layers of disease or whatever that they need to repair. And it's like, you, know, you didn't get this way overnight. So it takes a lot of peeling back of the layers of the onion to get to the, the core issues. But um, with the Dexcom blood glucose monitor, it's like, it's just like the proof is in the pudding. There's no lying. It can't be like, you know, right. write a diet journal for me for a week and you can write whatever you want. Yeah. This is like, you'll be seeing it or the person will see it themselves and be like, hmm, that ice cream really spiked my blood glucose. Yeah. So that, you know, it makes you think twice. And then what we want is to have these chefs, the lunch leaders, to be able to wear the, the monitor so then they understand how A, food affects them, them personally, and then B, they have an accountability as to how they're feeding the children and their, their community. So it really, you know, makes you stop and think, so I really want to give them pasta with, I went to a camp the other day and I happened to be lunchtime and I was just like, oh my God, mm. chicken nuggets, rice, potatoes, pasta with a little cheese on top, iceberg lettuce, Jeez. grapes and grapes. Yeah. I was just like, holy moly. So if I was a chef that was serving that and I were to eat that and then see what that did to my blood glucose, I would have a hard time serving that to children. Yeah, it'd be off the Knowing charts. That, you know, you're basically, every day that we that we, we keep their blood glucose stable, we're keeping them another day from entering the medical system or a chronic disease. Yes. And there's so. the disconnect there. You give yourself a, an actual visual. You get to see that spike. And what I love about like our partnership and coming together here is that 
I've taken the approach because I have to of a trickle down effect of teach the parents about proper nutrition and hope that it trickles into their household and that they'll feed their kids properly. You have done this whole reverse thing that I didn't even know what was possible, which is like a, a trickle up effect from the children yeah. getting healthier lunches and it's changing the household. The parents are like, wait a minute, I'm seeing a significant change in my child. And that's one thing that I want to outline here. If, if, even if somebody doesn't get involved with the lunch program or doesn't change their own lunch program or any of these things, what I want you to understand if you have kids is that the low hanging fruit here is nutrition. So yes, we can do quantifiable data like blood glucose levels with the Dexcom, but the other quantifiable data is behavioral problems, ADD, ADHD, depression, kids who are on the spectrum, like you name it, I am yet now, I'm not claiming this is a cure-all, right? Some people are have unique situations. Like my niece, Savannah, is still 100% vegetative. She's five years old. She's not going to have a normal life. It doesn't matter what we feed her, right? But for most kids, nutrition is the low-hanging fruit. And I am yet to see most common issues that don't see significant improvement once the nutrition is cleaned up. So when we look at things like detention, test scores, behavioral problems. Like, you know, my dad goes and visits my nephew at his school and he's like, every three minutes, a teacher is having to take a child aside and sit him in the corner because they're having a blowout tantrum. And it's like, we take these innocent little kids and their morning starts with a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch soaked with feedlot milk from sick animals. And then, so we pump them full of sugar, their blood glucose spikes off the charts. Then we sit them in an uncomfortable desk and tell them to be quiet and behave. And then when they don't behave, they get in trouble or worse, they end up on medication. Yeah. You know, and it's just, this is, this is insane at this point, you know, and this is the low hanging fruit. So if you take nothing else away from this podcast, just know that there are other quantifiable means of, of proving what this does for little kids. It's really important, you know? Yeah. Well, and Dr. Paul, who's the head of um, the Manzanita School, where I'm the lunch lady, he said, you know, some of the kids will come in with a diagnosis of ADHD and within like a couple weeks of school starting, he's, and it's a nature-based school. So they're out on the land twice a week. They're, they're always out on the land. They eat on, out, you know, under the trees. He doesn't know who those kids are anymore. Wow. So just reconnecting. I mean, that's, I think the future is people are really going to see more about nature connection and not being so, um, you know, around this all the time and screens and lighting and, you know, inside, it's like just grounding and being really like, we've just become so disconnected to, to everything. I mean, so there was an example when we went on the camping trip, like three years ago. So before I was the lunch lady, there was like breakfast being served and there was cereal and somebody pulled out like Fritos and dip. And, um, and I was just like, what is going on? You know, my nature, my nature school, like, what are they doing? And then Dr. Paul stood up and he's like, you know, we're up by like, you know, up in Northern California. It was just like, look at these redwoods. This is so incredible. Like at the base of every redwood, billions of microbes that keep them alive. And, and I was just like, you are a redwood. Like you're yeah. no different. We're no different than anything in nature. We're really like the most miraculous example of nature. And so the sooner we, like if you could unzip us and say like, holy Moses, like what is going on every day to just keep me alive and blinking and moving yeah. and thinking it's like, you know, so the more you connect to what's really going on around us, it's so miraculous that you, you can't help but kind of become more connected to the whole big picture 
as a whole, and that that involves our food system. So um, it's really, I think, the nature connection and is just really going to start to come in more and more because we're just we've gotten so removed from it. Yeah, I think so too. There's a lot of movements these these nature schools, and then there's uh, that really famous uh, TED talk with that like 12 year old kid. He did the unschool, oh, the unschool TED yeah, talk. Yeah, 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 it was fantastic. Adorable. And, yeah. and then when you talk about the microbes and everything, I mean, you're absolutely right. You share 99% of your DNA with that redwood. It really comes down to that. So yes. like I did a AMA way back when I started Clovis, it was AMA number nine that was called feeding your children and their gut bugs. And that's what all this is, this is about, this connection to nature and these or this over sanitized life that we live. So a couple of resources I just want to throw out to people is one, there's this horrific article called the, I believe it's called the drugging of the American boy. And that's when we get to the evil and the marketing stuff. And you have to understand that like, it's literally a funnel, like people who are like giving their kids cereal and milk and then sending them to school and sitting them in a, in a uncomfortable chair at a public school and telling them to sit down and shut up and behave themselves. Like you're literally taking every step possible to put your kid on medication, to get your kid into the healthcare system very, very young. And it goes through the statistics of kids being put on drugs and why it's very normal behavior. They just have a lot of energy. They wanna go outside and play. Their blood glucose is spiked, you know? So it's really this sick thing that gets kids involved in the medical industry, conventional medicine, from a very young age, and they'll probably be on medication for the rest of their life. And the other, uh, so that article, The Drugging the American Boy, the other resource I wanna give is Juliet Starrett, who I had on my podcast, and she runs Stand Up Kids where they put stand-up desks in schools. And uh, Clovis flips a full classroom every year. I think if you want to get involved, it's $5,000 will flip an entire classroom to stand-up desks. And they're doing this in public schools as well, uh, I believe, which is really, really crazy. So that's awesome. And then uh, Brain Maker by Dr. Mark Hyman, a fantastic book talking about the gut microbiome and the importance of it for kids and stuff like that. So you can start there. That's a lot of resources, but I'll put all this in the show notes and everything. But So if you had to give people steps... Um, I, I guess say right now, because obviously um, we're going to talk about how people can get involved directly with you, directly with Manzanita, with your program and all that. But if people were just, I guess, on a practical level, people who feel stuck, because there's a lot of parents I know that feel stuck, like some that one parent was telling me that their school has a mandatory milk program. You have to pay in advance and they give your kid feedlot milk. And if you want to opt out of the program, you need a letter from a doctor like it's just getting crazy. Well, in Massachusetts, they said whole milk was illegal to sell, but you could sell strawberry and chocolate. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is it, what? <laughs> it's like absolutely it's insane. So, if you could think well, of practical steps, steps like on a public school level, is there anything you can think of, like you know, just a few pieces of advice that people can try? Obviously, you talked about at, everybody go to school, go to the nurse, ask yeah. for ingredients, start there. Yeah. Is there anything else? Yeah. And then, um, I mean, what I did was, you know, a lot of schools now have a wellness committee or they're all supposed to have a wellness committee, I think. So we kind of um, formed the wellness committee and then it was so a group of parents, you know, you're stronger in numbers. So if you get people that are, that are, you know, of like mind and fit, can figure out and have the energy to, to change things, um, I feel like you really have to get the school on board because if they're not on board, I feel feel like you just get kind of placated and just, you know, it's like band-aid here, band-aid there. And then it's just really frustrating. So, um, but this is where we want to have proof of concept so that people can say, this is possible. Mm. Like kids are not like dropping dead from eating whole foods, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like, this is going on. There are like one in two children will have a chronic disease or, you know, there's a lot of ADHD in our school. Or there's a lot of, um, you know, so just, I think really getting frank with the 
heads of school and the superintendents and just saying, you know, there's, it's undeniable. It's undeniable. So it's really that school making it a priority because if they want to make it a priority, they can do wonders. Cause if Santa Barbara can do it, I mean, you know, they're doing it up in, in um, Oakland and um, in Berkeley area, but you know, they've raised a lot of money. So, you know, when I looked at those programs, it was like millions of dollars being raised and I was just like, for the average person who looks at that, it's super overwhelming. Like, how am I going to raise money? How am I going to do this? And that's why I feel like um, the Lunch Leader Training Academy or training lunch leaders is something that's like doable. So if you have, or you say to your superintendent, hey, can we send our lunch ladies to the Lunch Leader Training Academy so then they know how to like scratch the surface and find what's available locally. They're going to have menus to um, you know, shoot from, and they're going to have a connection with people across the country who are doing great things. And, you know, it's like, I think that's really how they can get hopeful. And, and if they have kitchens, I mean, in Massachusetts, they just built three brand new elementary schools and didn't put anything but reheating kitchens in like, you know, five years ago. I'm like, what? You know, so it's like, there are a lot of hurdles, but if you get creative and you get the people that are cooking the food to really understand that, you know, maybe there are steps they can take from just getting rid of the condiments to, you know, making two meals from scratch or, um, you know, removing sugar from mm. the daily things or offering, you know, not offering the milks. But I, I understand it's it's no easy feat. But No, I think, definitely not. You know, but getting the getting the superintendent on board and the head of school on board and really just showing that's why if we can show this, um, you know, if it's quantifiable scientific evidence that this way of eating is not spiking blood sugars, then you show kids that are eating a regular standard school lunch that are spiking their blood sugars every day, all day. How can they deny that? Yeah. And in an ideal world, I would love to see in the future, uh, you know, if, if the government got behind it or some big organizations with some real money to actually do this, Dexcom thing in multiple schools, public school systems with like low test scores and behavioral problems versus farm to table programs and just actually track the blood glucose and compare it to things like test scores and detention and all these problems. It'd be, yeah. be really amazing. So the kids don't even really know, like they don't have to be looking at their, cause you don't want to create some psychological, like, Oh my God, I can't eat that. Or I can never have ice cream again in my life. You know, it's right, like, right. So, but you can create it. So they don't even know depending on their age, you know, if they're in high school, like one girl in our, who's a senior in high school said to me a couple months ago, like, wow, like I really understand now how sugar affects my body. She said, it makes me feel terrible. And I was like, hallelujah. She's like, it makes me feel terrible. So she's like, when I'm faced now with a decision to like have a piece of birthday cake or whatever, she said, I might have it, but I know the, you know, ramifications, but it's my choice. But at least now she's empowered with that information. Absolutely. Understanding the consequences. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you want is we want to create that in the kids too. So parents can get in, start with your snack program. I mean, I taught in Massachusetts an after school cooking class and it's really, it's just passionate leaders that we need. And we want young, like I want young, um, you know, I have a lot of like cool young people in my kitchen that are like, like, you know, inspiring for these kids to see like, Hey, he's like, ripped and taking care of himself and yeah I don't need to be like that you know so it's like we need those role models right those positive role models that are demonstrating for our kids so even if they can get you know switch out or incorporate more lunch leaders that understand the power of this yeah 
And one other analogy that I wanted to um, give was that the same day that Dr. Paul stood up about the redwoods, he was like, you know, I want everybody to go around this beautiful campsite and pick up all the micro trash so that we leave this place exactly as we found it. So any teeny tiny bits of micro trash. And so if you think of like your body, like, you know, if we had left our micro trash, probably the next people in wouldn't have really noticed it. Mm -hmm. But if everybody continues to leave their micro trash, it's going to build up and you're going to start to notice it. Same way with disease, right? If you clean up from the beginning, you're not going to build up the micro trash. But if you just keep thinking that they're just kicking it down the road, it's going to build up and it's going to hit you over the head. And that's, that's what we want to avoid is like, you don't want that frying pan to the head where then all of a sudden you're faced with really difficult choices. Like if you have a cancer diagnosis or something really serious, it's like life changing. Yeah. An instant. No yeah. one wants that, you know? And so then it's like, just, I can't stress enough the power of food as medicine. And that's your first, it's the first thing that you can you know, and it's accessible to everybody and just scratch the surface, ask questions. I know not everybody has access to beautiful farmer's markets like I do. Mm. So I'm, I really do understand that, but. Um, That's where I, I really like the work of, uh, you know, our, our friend Diana Rogers too, you know, cause yeah. she's big on that. She's like, listen, if you can't get grass fed beef, eat the grain fed beef, you're going to be okay. It's better than Doritos. <laughs> you know, it's like you have to make do with, with what's available right. in the area. So speaking yeah. of, of making do with what's available, I do want to touch on, because uh, I know I'm going to keep you all day here, but uh, um, the the intensive that you're doing, I do want to talk about that. So if somebody is involved in a private school and they may have more freedom, more flexibility, maybe they're a little closer to the administrators on a personal level, just more options. What is this event that you're starting? Well, we're doing a full on um, week long immersion program here in Topanga and in Malibu, so we, um, everyone's staying together at a beautiful retreat in Topanga, and we'll go to Malibu to a farm with a beautiful kitchen for cooking classes, um, and it's really going to uh, basically give full-on instruction on how you can um, change your school lunch program, not only change your school lunch program, but just change your habits and your mindset, and you're thinking about how you can um, step into that role as a leader in your community, no matter you know what you're trying to do, but certainly with schools and then understanding the power of feeding the children this way and your accountability towards towards feeding. So even if you're wanting to just have that confidence, you can still come. But um, but we're going to be going over like you know how you scale up and ha- what types of foods we're serving, what are the menus we're doing. Um, we have a woman coming in to help who's. Uh, helping people be profitable and setting up those spreadsheets because a lot of people who do farm to table like end up losing money because they're not quite, mm-hmm. you know, they're just like doing the best that they can do. And I'm, I'm guilty of that too. Sometimes just like, Oh my gosh, we have to have this. And so it's like, how do you put it all into, you know, so that you can't trick yourself into thinking that you're going to be profitable. It's like right there. And then you can know like, okay, we're, we're not making money. Where are we going to, figure out how because some meals are more expensive than others you know like we might spend more money on a fish day because it's like local and wild and beautiful but then we realize like okay in that week we have to scale back with something a less expensive meal so we have um we have that we have trip to the farmer's market so we teach the questions that you need to ask your farmers how do you interact with them so many farmers when they hear that this is about the children jump on board they Mm. all have um you know most often have 
surplus and are happy to give deals, sharpen their pencils. A lot of them, it's like, you know, we're a no waste kitchen. We have a trash can that's like one foot high and we serve over a hundred people. So we really are recycling and composting. And so we'll teach about no waste, but also the farmers, like a lot of them have ton of lettuce or zucchini that they can't sell again, that they're happy to to donate or to give a really good price on. So we'll do that. We'll go to Belcampo where we'll have lunch. And then they also will be introduced to um, the butcher shop where they'll see how to use the whole animal and really honor the animal and buying proper animals and why you want to do that. And then how you use the different cuts of meat and um, slow roast things or things that are less expensive and how you get creative with that. So, I mean, even Sally Fallon from the Weston Price Foundation came and I was making beans and I had a pig's ear in the beans. I mean, I had a vegetarian option too, but she was just sure. like, even just doing that alone <laughs> is changing these kids, you know, health. Just that, just bone broth or just that gelatin getting into them. Um, but, you know, it's, some people might be like, what? A pig's ear? Like, that's yeah. crazy. But it's like, those are the things where you can get really creative and, and, um, and get really n- deep nutrition into wow. kids with not a lot of extra expense. So, and then we have people like you coming out. Um, so I always say like, I think of Clovis as like, we need you as like, we need to revamp the lunch lady. Then we now need to revamp the school nurse because it's like, everyone's like, you know, has something and they don't know how to deal with it. So we need somebody like you that can, um, hold their hand and really like dive in deep to what's actually going on and how to start, you know, getting better. So you'll be there. Um, Organic Pastures will be there. Mark McAfee from Organic Pastures. So he can talk about raw dairy and the benefits of raw dairy. Not everybody will have that, but at least you'll understand what it is to have skim, pasteurized, homogenized, whatever. Yeah. What that means. Um, And so uh, I'm trying to think of who else, but it'll be, it'll be amazing. And so, and, and it will just be the beginning of, you know, something great where we're, you know, connecting people across the country who can start this movement. It really is a movement. It's amazing. So, what are the dates on the event? August 4th through 10th. Okay. And we're going to put that in the show notes and everything. We'll give the event link yeah, and everything. Link. So if you want to grab yeah, a ticket to that. Is, um, we also have a, a one sheeter that's a, um, an ask for people. Cause I know it's, it can be cost prohibitive for some people that are really passionate about doing great things, but they're like, Oh, I just can't afford that. So there are a lot of people that are super generous and have deeper pockets or have more disposable income that might be happy to sponsor others. Right. So that's something that I feel like is a really beautiful angel investment or we have a nonprofit so that people can, um, can donate right into that and be tax deductible. So if you know somebody that you want to send, you know, do it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you have that capability, that's a really great gift to be able to send or you can raise money. You know, a couple of people might be able to do it for one person. So yeah, I love the way that you set that up. And that's, that's why Clovis was able to be involved so heavily. And this is because you have that, that 501 C three set up yeah. and everything, which is just it's been amazing. So, and because of you guys are writing the, the, you know, the model so that it can be scaled up and recreated across the country and really yeah. and doing this Dexcom study. So we're so thankful to you guys. It's amazing. Well, I am honored to be a part of it. That's like the least, I, I wish that I was, you know, the size of Primal Kitchen. So I could just like fund everything that you needed to do. Just be like, They're going to be you there. They'll be yeah. there. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. So for well, people, people that want to get involved though, like 
even at the, the smallest level, just share this podcast. Like you never know, just putting this on your Facebook wall, there might be some other parent who yeah. has deeper pockets and it goes to the same school system that you do or their kids in school with your kid. And next thing you know, your lunch lady is sponsored and going to this event and hanging out with Hillary and I, you know? Yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's it's super cool opportunity. And Prima will be there, I think too. Oh, um, awesome. I'm meeting with them this week, so hopefully they'll be there. And and that's what we'll do is so on the, the last day, the lunch leaders will be set up with accounts or at least the relationships with those national, regional brands that they can um, and, you know, then use within their school system. So wow. it's really about, you know, alleviating that. In the beginning, we were making all of our own mayonnaise and stuff. And it's just, it does get cost prohibitive and it's a lot of time and labor. And so if you can know that you have a mayonnaise that you trust, it's huge. Yeah. That's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on a, on a a personal level before I was, we wrap this thing up, how can people uh, talk to you? How can, do you want people to get in touch with you directly? Let's talk about social media or the best way to get in touch with you. Yeah. I mean, so again, once I'm like Primal Kitchen, then I'll have all this big website and all this stuff where people can find me. <laughs> but right now it's Live Yum Yum, L-I-V-E-Y-U-M-Y-U-M is my um, Instagram. And actually, it's so funny. It was like two or three years ago, Primal. I think it was Mark himself that was like, let me, I, I was like, what does this at sign mean? I mean, I had no idea. <laughs> And so they kind of walked me through that. And so that's where I really where I am. So people can message me directly on that. You can feel free. I mean, Hillary H. Boynton at Gmail. We can maybe put a link to my, Absolutely. my email. Um, but we've been jumping on phone calls with people all week or for the past two or three weeks since we launched this. And it's just super fascinating to see the types of people that want to make a shift. I mean, one woman just yesterday was like wanting to dive into the hospital. She's had cancer and she can't get over the crap that's in the hospitals. So, you know, there's so much opportunity and we're really happy. We understand this is like a big decision and, um, and sometimes needs some talking through to figure out really how this can be really helpful for you. So we're happy to jump on a phone call. I mean, we with Chuck from Slow Food Venture County and um, and and myself. So awesome to anybody listening. I highly recommend this because I take phone calls with Hillary and Chuck quite often, and it's like the most inspiring time ever. Like the three of us, just like we're gonna change the whole world, and there's like so much energy. And like Chuck is an amazing human being, and it's just so. I highly recommend you guys take advantage of this. Get in touch with Hillary particularly if you really think this is something you could do in your local school system, make the phone calls happen. And um, this is just the first of many with this podcast too. I would love to have you come on and do maybe do like a live Q and a with my audience and Facebook live or something. We could have Chuck there. They can ask you questions directly and really just try to keep this momentum going and push this thing as as hard as we can. We're so passionate. He texted me like right before he's like, drink decaf. I'm like, well, I already drank regular, but we're like, we come across as like, you know, we're just, talking a mile a minute because it's like it's we're so passionate I feel like it's a calling I mean you you maybe yes. feel that way too it's like I just feel it in my on every in every cell like yeah. on a cellular level I feel like this is the right thing to do and so um you know we're just really crazy passionate people so if you want to jump on board with the good crazies you know Together we can <laughs> together we can change. So the I do good believe I know say it sounds like hokey, but it's so true. I mean, I think it just takes passion, you know, it just takes yeah. that 
you know, it's a hundred percent true. And I, I think, you know, my audience is used to this at this point. I constantly talk about the universe and you, you know, I, you know, before we recorded, we talked about our past and what we went through and then my niece, Savannah, the situation yeah. she's in and your kids with the problems that they've had. And it's like, there's always a silver lining. And I, I truly believe, I mean, I think that, that both you and I and the roles that we currently play in the world are, are doing what we were put here to do. Yeah. And I would also go as far as to say that there are people listening to this podcast right now who need to be in similar roles. That's what they were put here to do. And they just don't know it yet. And yeah. maybe this podcast is, is that door opening for them. I truly believe that. I think sometimes we're hit over the head because we are change makers. And then it's like, you yes. have to have that lesson to be able to then talk about it. And mm -hmm. it's, let's face it. It's all, I think it's all storytelling. So I think what resonates with people now, there's so much confusion out there that when you hear a mama talk straight from the heart saying like this healed my child, it's undeniable, right? And right. you're going to listen to that mama versus all the 50 million news stories that are scaring them with Jesus out of you and you don't know what to believe anymore or your doctors. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's about the storytelling. So you can go, speaking of that, which we always say we dinosaurs, but Rita and I from my kitchen, we've been, thanks to your encouragement, been recording live in the kitchen. So if you go back to our highlights, you can go see like hours of time in the kitchen for the last month of school. So you can get an idea of what, a day in the life of a lunch lady is. And it's like a reality show because yes. literally the clock strikes 1230 and it's like knives down, hands up, food has to go out. It's yep. like there's messing around. These are a like hundred people that are ready to eat. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's like on the fly and it's, you know, we're trying to give as much information and um, resources as possible to people and make it fun and exciting. So if anyone, you know, once we're a little bit bigger and we can figure out, we need a millennial. We need a little 25-year-old to come to tell us how to do it all. Or, or you, maybe, because you're figuring yeah, it out. But I'm figuring it so, out. But if somebody wants to watch, they can go to the highlights, and we'll be filming again soon. Actually, Wednesday, I think we'll be filming soon. Beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're super fun to watch. So everybody go to Instagram, at Live Yum Yum, and watch those Instagram stories. It's, it's amazing. So we can wrap on that. The good crazies changing the world. The and I. <laughs> and I just want to say, like, obviously at, at Clovis, I talk a lot. I use, always use this term superhuman. Like, I don't want you to be normal. I want you to be a superhuman. And Hillary, you are just a shining example of a real life superhero. So I just want to say thank yeah. you for being here. Thank you for all the work that you do. You're just a beautiful human. And it's, it's beautiful to watch. And thank you for letting me be a part of it. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate all you do. And, um, you know, together. Let's do it. Better together, right? Better together, 100%. So Clovis Tribe, go get in touch with Hillary right now until the next podcast that we do or live Q&A or whatever. There will be plenty of more content. So thank you guys for listening. All right, Hillary. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.